media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Amen. As you are seated this morning, open the Bible, New Testament, to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series. I, I said a couple of weeks ago that we'll probably just kind of, you know, preach through the first chapters or something like that, maybe six or seven or eight, and then take a break. And we may be still doing that, but I was just reading through even this week, and I'm going, okay, where do you stop? And so we probably will give a rest to our series, but we'll probably be in Acts maybe up to this whole next year, just as we go through, because we don't want to go so slow that uh, that it's just so methodical and so um, wearing on us at the same time. It's hard to stop because even if I stopped at a certain point, I'm going, but, but I've got to tell this story. I've got to tell about this miraculous event. And so we're still figuring that out. I'm preaching this week. Jeff will start jumping in next week to uh, the next set of verses. But uh, I'm excited about starting it. Um, if you love history, you're going to love the book of Acts. It's, it's the New Testament history of what happened after Jesus ascended up to heaven. If you love maps and technical kind of things like that, you're going to love this because you can't go through Acts without going, okay, here's Paul's missionary journey and, and here's what happened and here's how the gospel expanded from Jerusalem out into the world. And so we'll be using some maps. If you love stories of courage and transformation, how about how one life was headed in this direction and then all of a sudden it was transformed and it completely headed in another direction, you're going to love the book of Acts. Because we see that in people like what we now call the Apostle Paul. Before, he was not the Apostle. And, and we don't see you know anything that's there that just gave him a love for Christ. He had just a, a love for God, but mainly a love for religion. And we're going to see just a drastic conversion that takes place there. If you love adventure, we were talking about Indiana Jones this morning. If you love adventure, you're going to like the book of Acts. Shipwrecks, snake bites, all kinds of stuff. It all happens in here. And all of it is centered on one thing. The book of Acts is very similar to the book of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, they tell the story of Christ. Tell the story of his birth. Tell the story of how he grew up. And at age 12, he did this. And how he began his ministry. And performed these miracles. And and gave these sermons and these teachings. Uh, how he led a perfect life and then how he died in the place of us who deserved that death, was buried for three days, was in a grave, was victorious over that grave and then rose again into the victory of life and dwelt among them. We're going to see that this morning. And and so what we begin to see here is the story of, in Acts, the promise of the Holy Spirit, something that Jesus made much of the week before he went to the cross. The story of the formation of the church, that, that we as a local body of believers today are part of what I would, what the term that we use is the universal church. That is not universalism, okay? That is not, okay, everybody just because we're all created by God, everybody's going to heaven. No, it's the church universal. All who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, every tribe, every nation, as the Bible would describe. Notice the Bible mentions denominations. It mentions people who have entrusted their life. They put their faith in this gospel of what Jesus Christ did. It's also the story of God telling the church to go share this 
uh, love, this hope with the world, what we sometimes would term as missions. And, and so that's what we're going to see throughout this. The, it's not a short book. It's got 28 chapters. So it's not like uh, Philemon when the, the Bible, say, you know, when a pastor says, turn to Philemon, and you're going, I can't even find it because it's like on one or two pages. No, you can pretty much find Acts pretty easily because it's it's there for a while. It covers the years 30 to 33 A.D., approximately to about 62 to to 64 a day. So about the story of Acts that we find recorded there, the events of this book cover about three decades, about 30 years. And there's three main themes. Now, this is my theme labeling, okay? If you went to another book, you're going to find these are the four pillars of the book of Acts. These are the three main subjects. Everybody's going to have kind of a little bit of a different opinion. These are mine. Okay, this is what I see when I study the book of Acts. Three main things come out. First, the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be predominant in all the teaching. What we just said, the church, God establishing his people as a body of people locally and then universally. And then missions. The call of all of these believers to go out and share this hope of the gospel. These three words really kind of characterize, or these three themes are really, you're going to find on every page as we would study Acts. And we see a little bit of it even as we open up into the first verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. Okay, in the very first two verses, we find out the author, even though he doesn't name himself, but we know readily if we've studied the Bible and that, that this is Luke. Okay, how do we know that? Well, we're going to go back in just a second and look at the opening verses of the Gospel of Luke. So the guy who wrote, one of the guys that wrote one of the four Gospels, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke, now is telling us, as Paul Harvey used to say, for all the older ones in here that will understand that terminology, this is the rest of the story. And it's so important for us to hear not just the events of the life of Christ, but the change that comes, the call that comes upon those that have been called by Christ, that have placed faith in this work of Christ. And so that's what we begin to see here. The author is Luke. Again, he doesn't name himself... Uh, and, and he pretty much, we begin to see this link between this writing and the writing that he had before. Turn real quick over to Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and see how Luke, same writer, same author, introduced that book when he was writing about Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So in the first two verses, he says, okay, there's other gospels. There's a lot of other accounts. This is one of them. But now look at verse 3 and 4. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things, all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you. If you are one that writes keeps notes in your Bible. I respect some people don't like writing the Bible, but if you do, I would underline that. That's kind of, he says, this is the purpose, to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, we see the same person, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Underline verse 4. I, I want an orderly account. And, and Luke does go through kind of a timeline. When you read the Christmas story, even though we do find that in various Gospels, where do a lot of people kind of read the Christmas story? And do we find it at the end, the middle, or the beginning of the Gospel of Luke? The beginning. It's an orderly account. In other words, he's saying, okay, I'm not like staying on a timeline specifically, but if you want to find kind of a linear timeline, the Gospel of, of Luke is a good one, you know, where it just begins to tell us some of the different events. That's part of his purpose, to write an orderly account for you. For what purpose? So that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. That's his motivation, and that's what he does. Now, three things about Luke helped us. Three things just about how, you know, how we really believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is the inspired Word of God. The Holy Spirit has inspired people to write this. And somewhere in this miracle, God has inspired the Word. It is God's Word. Sometimes people will say, well, I just don't like what Paul said about this. Well, Paul did write it, but it's God's word. It's his truth. So somewhere there's this miracle in the writing of the Bible that it's God's word and God's truth, and yet he uses people over all these centuries to do that. And one of the ones that he used is this person called Luke. Now, again, I said that he kind of has a benefit here of being able to do historical accounts of what happened. Number one, he is uh, pretty smart. His profession, he's a doctor. He's learned. Uh, we don't know what kind of education a doctor, a physician had to have back in those days, but I think it would be different from a shepherd, and that's not putting shepherds down and, and physicians up. But I imagine the background was a little bit different. And so we have this learned man. He also has an interest, just like you and I would have interest and hobbies and things that we kind of look to. He loves history. He likes details and facts. You would kind of expect that out of a doctor, wouldn't you? What's wrong? You're sick. Can you give me a little bit more, doctor? You know, can you be a little bit more direct instead of this general, well, you're sick? No, a doctor is precise. A doctor has this background that takes interest in facts and details. And then he's of the faith. He's put his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ. He's a believer. He's, as far as we know, the only certified, that we know for sure, New Testament author that is a Gentile. Everybody else is Jewish. And they may come kind of from a perspective of writing to the Jews, people, I mean to the Gentile people, but he's the only one that we know that for the most part we know, okay, he's not, doesn't come from a Jewish background. So it's interesting that God would use all these things about Luke, call Luke to be the author of not only the gospel of Luke, but now this book of Acts. What happened after Christ ascended to heaven? So he's the author and we get a little bit of the, the framing of the time there again in first book. What, is, what does he say? Acts, going back to Acts chapter 1. In the first book, that is the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day that he was taken up. You're going to hear more about that next week as Jeff preaches 
uh, because he's going to cover the, the next verses that talk about where Christ ascended. And he went up to, the, to fulfill the promises that he had made to, to all the disciples. And that's where he is today. That he's there by the, the right hand of the Father, advocating, praying for us, going to the Father on our behalf. And, and so here Jesus is there, and, and yet he didn't leave us without a purpose, a call, and an empowerment to be able to do that. I mean, can you imagine if you were the disciples and you had spent three years, you had invested three years of your life into this rabbi that came along that said he was the Messiah. You've put full faith and trust, even under threat of life at times, and you've invested yourself, left family, friends, safety. Then all of a sudden, one day, this leader, the one that in your mind you gave up everything for, says that he's going to die on the cross. This is why we see this very violent reaction from Peter that we talked about last week, just a little bit. Now, Peter, once he hears the cross, you know, thou art the Christ, but then when Jesus says, okay, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die on the cross, but, but I'll rise again. He doesn't even hear the rise again part. He just, you're not going to die. You're not going to depart. You go back to John chapter 14 and he has to comfort them. Hey, take comfort in this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am going away, but I go away with a purpose. And so here we begin to see this. And I've heard all kinds of silly stuff about the ascension. I had a pastor one time that it says, you know, how it says uh, that Jesus went up into the clouds. And I had one pastor way, way back when I was just a little kid that said, that proves that when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be on a, a real sunny day. It's got to have clouds. And I'm going, I don't, even as a kid, I was going, I don't know that that's really the, the connection here. I think they're just trying to say that Jesus went up and he ascended. But Jeff will talk a little bit more about that and the importance of that and how that plays into the rest of the story. So, uh, so by this time that he is writing, Jesus has ascended. And then we begin to look at this person that he's writing to, Theopolis. What do we know about this guy? About that much. We really don't know that much about him. Uh, there's a lot of kind of leading thoughts. Some people think that uh, he could have been a Roman official because one of the terms is, you know, in, in another place is the excellency, uh, you know, my, the most excellent Theophilus. So he could have been a Roman official. He very much could have been a wealthy benefactor that helped promote a lot of Paul's missionary journeys. Could have been a high priest. There's actually two high priests that were serving during this time period that had the name Theophilus. They had, uh, you know, additional names to go along with that. And there are some that said, okay, I, I think it might be him or it may be him. Could have been a lawyer, some would argue, that argued uh, Paul's case when he went to trial there in Rome. A lot of possibilities, but we don't know. The important thing is that there's this friendship that Luke has with this person. And in this friendship, he wants this friend to know the importance of the life of Jesus and now the importance of life after Jesus. And so he connects these things together. Look at verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And look how Luke connects the past to the present, or at least what it would have been present for him. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
the he in this verse is Jesus. And he said, okay, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, just didn't wave at everybody and directly ascend up to heaven. How long was Jesus here on earth uh, with his disciples, uh, as Luke put it, proof that he was alive and well? How many days? Forty days. The Forty days is really significant in the Bible. Go back and study about all the 40 days, 40 days with Moses and 40 days in this. And we see that this is really a significant number. And one of the significances of that number is that it's kind of considered a complete time. 40 days is enough, to, is it enough time to learn something, to be away and to learn something. If you were in school for 40 days, anybody ever take a J term? You know, either in January or July or June. Sometimes colleges, I think Rory just took one, or was at least maybe thinking about one. And foolishly, I did that one time, because that's all you have to do is one time. And they take a whole semester's worth of stuff and put it in 10 days or 12 days. And it's like, you know, trying to drink from a, uh, you know, from this fire hose. But 40 days, you know, that's enough to kind of absorb to learn. And that's what's going on here. He makes the point that it was 40 days, I think because of biblical significance of what 40 days is, but also that's enough time to do what? To have proof. That's what he said. Appearing to, uh, suffering about many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He, he's communicated, this is now life after I've risen from the dead. Now why does he say that, really put a whole bunch of emphasis, that he was proving that he was alive? Were there rumors, were there different thoughts of what really happened to Jesus after what we call the resurrection? There are some that began to say, well, you know, he was never really dead. He was just kind of in a deep sleep. Others would say this or that. And so Luke is saying, okay, I left off the first, the gospel of Luke, the first part of the story here, and here's the rest of the story. And the first thing that he wants to establish is that Jesus was alive. Because as he would tell this story later, and and after Jesus ascended, Jesus isn't going to be there. How many of y'all never knew your grandfather that he had passed before you got to know him? Does that mean that you don't know anything about your grandfather? Or did some loving people in your family say, man, your grandfather... He was like this and this and this. And even though maybe you never met him, there was enough testimony, there were enough witnesses there that saw your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, your father, whoever it might be in your life, and said, this is what your mother was like. This is what your father was like. And so these are eyewitnesses. They're going to tell about what is Jesus like to a world that now has never seen Jesus. Young little teenage kids that this happened when they were six or seven and they weren't in that area. And now they're going, okay, so you're asking me to place my whole faith, my whole trust of my whole life on this person, Jesus? I've never met him. And so there was eyewitnesses. And what were one of the things that was foundational for these eyewitnesses? It was not just the life of Christ, not just the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ. Does that make sense? I don't want to belabor appointment, but these are the foundational thoughts that Luke is going to build upon, folks. For us to understand the whole rest of his writings, we have to understand why did he, how did he begin this? What is the foundation upon how he is structuring this book? And he's making a really, really big deal about the resurrection. 
later on we would see people like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 go, if, if Christ has not been raised, I have nothing to preach. This wasn't a little part of Christianity. This is what Christianity is built entirely upon. If there's no resurrection, there is no purpose for our meeting today. There's no purpose for me to be up here preaching. There's no purpose for us to, to give our lives to Christ. That's how important it was. And Luke establishes that from the very beginning. Now look at verse 4 and 5. And look at the found, what I believe is the foundation of Acts that we find in these beginning verses. And while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He's talking about Jesus to the disciples here. And while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke states that this is a promise of the Father. He goes on after this 40 days and he begins to say, okay, as you're waiting here, because Christ promised you something, there's a purpose in this waiting and it's all built upon the promises of the Father and what Jesus himself promised to these disciples, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He quotes from Matthew there. Hey, John the Baptist, he baptized you with water, but remember even then, John the Baptist said there is one coming that will baptize you in the Spirit. So he's looking, he's linking this past into the future. And one of the foundations is that Christ truly is alive. And now as he's alive and he's going to call you and send you, one of the foundational purposes or one of the foundations of this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is one of the most critical times that the disciples would ever face in their life. They watched the death and the burial of Christ. And even though they've witnessed his presence for 40 days, off and on, can you imagine that there's times when it was so vivid, his death, when it was so vivid that, you know, was that real? Am I just imagining? How easy is faith for you on good days? How challenging is faith in those same things on really hard days? The facts didn't change. All that changes is your circumstances. And we go from people that, of course, Jesus died for my sins. He was buried. He rose again to give victory over sin, death, and the grave. And life is great. To those really challenging days where it's challenged in the mental, in the emotional, in the spiritual, in the relational. Is Jesus real? Did he really die like the Bible says? Is he really the son of God? Does God really have a purpose for my life? I mean, do you see how you start to link all that together now? And so it's so important for as he starts out this writing of the history of the church before he gets into details of shipwrecks and snake bites to go, here's the foundation. Christ is alive, ascended to the Father. And in his, if you want to say absence, his direct absence there, as far as in the physical being, now God is sending whom he promised and who Jesus spoke much about. 
John 14, 16 and 17. All these are about a week before Jesus goes to death. It's his conversation with the disciples and then high priestly prayer that we would find in John 17. But all this, he's sitting down with the disciples and he's telling them these events are about to happen. And in the midst of, if how many of y'all have what we call the red letter Bible? The words of Christ, okay. John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, John chapter 17. What is the predominant color of those verses that you see there in your Bible? Red. This is Jesus and he's talking. Who is he talking to? The disciples. And in one way, to us as the living word of God. So he gives this instruction. Now look what he says. I'm just going to pick out four. There's more there. John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Notice how it's capitalized. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. He's going to be a helper and he's going to be the Spirit of truth. He will reveal to you truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I mean, I could preach for weeks just on this, but basically Jesus is saying, okay, because you've put your faith and trust in me, you're Christian, God is going to send to Christians his very spirit. It'll be a spirit that will help you, help you to do what? Help you to be holy, help comfort you in those trying times of faith. In those challenging days when everything does seem to be sinking rather than floating. And he's going to be the spirit of truth. In a world filled with deception, in a world, I mean, this past week, my Facebook account got hacked and everything. And it's like, how did that happen? And, you know, you just, then you begin to wonder. Okay, you start getting all these helps. I put on there, hey, don't accept any friend requests from me. You know, it looks like my Facebook account has been hacked. Do you know, like, literally within 60 seconds, there were like 27 responses. I can help you with this, da, 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 from people that I don't know. And I'm going, okay, yeah, I bet you can help me with this. Now he said, I'm going to send you a helper, and he's going to be the spirit of truth, because we live in a world where there's not always truth, there's deception, and he's going to be able to, to tell you what is true and, and what is not true. Not just out in the world, but let's face it, guys. Does your mind, does your heart ever lie to you? Yes, every single day. There's a little bit of deception. Especially when it comes to the Word of God. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Yeah, but they didn't even ask... You know, they didn't even admit that they did it. They didn't apologize. They didn't, they didn't do this. They, that's not what he said. Forgive as you've been forgiven. If I understand that command, if I understand what he's asking me, I have been forgiven of all of my sin. And so he wants me to have this attitude of grace and forgiveness toward those who've offended me and sinned against me. This much when I have done this much to the holiness of God. Pells in comparison. And yet, instantly, this brain and this emotional heart said, well, my feelings are hurt. They haven't even apologized. 
And even though they said they were sorry last week, they did it again this week. And also my head, my heart are not in agreement to the word of God. Does that make sense, guys? And so he says, okay, I'm going to send this helper because you need help. Amen? Okay. And part of that is going to, is the spirit of truth. Look down a couple more verses, verse 25, 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I don't really see in the three years that they were together in the gospel uh, accounts that, that, you know, all these people were making notes. Hey, remember this. One day this is going to be on the test. They're just kind of living life with Jesus. And yet he says, okay, part of this helper that I'm going to send you is going to help you to remember the truth that was revealed by the words of Christ and by the ways of Christ. Has your memory ever kind of faded over time? I'm at the age where I know the answer to that, unfortunately. And yet these things of Christ, he said, okay, the helper is going to help you remember truth again. Remember these things to encourage you, to challenge you, to discipline you, all the above. Have you ever heard your mama's voice? Even though you're 47? Because it was there. (laughs) And you know the instruction. And maybe she's not even here. You know, maybe she's already graduated to heaven. And yet you'll be doing something. It's like, ah, I can hear my dad's voice right now. I can hear my mom's voice right now. The Holy Spirit helps us to see Jesus, to remember Jesus. And now look down at the next chapter, John 15, 26, 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. At first it seems like a repeat of what he said there in John 14. But he says, okay, this helper, the Spirit of truth, proceeds from the Father and he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. As you go out to this call to share Christ with others, he's going to bear witness of all the truths that you've seen and that you've experienced as you go out and tell others. Guys, have you ever done this? You kind of have a question or maybe you have a quandary or maybe you have a sin. Maybe there's a disturbance in your life. And then you open up the Word of God, and maybe it's in a daily devotion, maybe it's just a study that you're doing, and you open up the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, from this very gray, from all these question marks, from all this confusion, there is clarity from the Word of God. Now, who gives you that clarity? The Word of God, in, in one way, but through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, because, and, and, and sometimes it's affirming, sometimes it's correcting, sometimes, I mean... Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you have experienced some form of condemnation in your own mind, in your own heart, just last week? Because of your sin. You're like, man. I know he says there's no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But man, I, man, how can I be that stupid? How can I be that wicked? How can I be that fill in the blank? 
And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, empowered, gives us truth. No, Christ forgave that sin if you placed your trust in Him. You see, this helper's going to do this. He's going to bear witness of me. And he's going to help you to bear witness to others. Last one. Again, there's, I could go through several of the promises, even Old Testament. Uh, John 16, 13, 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he, uh, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now Jesus is the, is the one that they're seeing. It's the one that they've experienced. He says this helper is going to come and affirm those things, because he's going to affirm it. Not that, this is the problem we're going to have. We're going to see that this is so unbiblical. Well, it's God the Father. And then there's God the Son, Jesus Christ. And there's this other guy kind of hanging out, the Holy Spirit. They are One of the things that blows our minds, guys, is, is this triune God, that they are all God. They are equally God. They are importantly God. They, you know, and yet what we see is sometimes in the arrangement in this Godhood is that sometimes they are subservient one to another. Sometimes the Spirit is ministering to Jesus and there's other times that Jesus is commanding the Spirit. I will send him. You say, I send you? That's kind of a command. And yet they're all equal. Please never, ever, ever say, well, you know, there's God the Father. Kind of like right below him is Jesus Christ the Son and maybe at a distant third is the Holy Spirit. Nowhere biblically can we, can we, can we make that case. What do we see in all this? What do we see in all these promises? Folks, this is not a plan that went haywire. Well, we didn't think they were going to capture Jesus. We certainly didn't think that they were going to crucify him. And so this is plan B. Folks, this is plan A. There was never another plan. Christ, before the foundation of the world, was already in assignment to die from Bobby Linkus's sins. This isn't a reaction to something that was outside of the events that they could control. No, this was the permanent plan of God from the beginning. And so this isn't a, you know, a reaction. This is what God wanted. This is what he designed. Three major themes in the book of Acts. Uh, my definition, again, just mine. You can take exception at it. Holy Spirit, the church, and missions. Would you say, whether you have some other terminologies that you want to go with, that at least those three themes are consistent in the book of Acts by your familiarity? The Holy Spirit, the organization of the church, both locally and, and universally, the body of Christ, and a call to tell the world about the hope of the gospel. Would you agree that those three terms could very easily kind of characterize the book of Acts? Now do this. Would it be safe to say that unless the first happened, that the other two would never really have a chance? 
Do you know enough about yourself? Do you know enough about other people? That the church, I mean, folks, we don't get it right and we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have a, always have a compulsion to go tell others. And we have the Holy Spirit. You take the Holy Spirit away and you've taken out the really foundation, the empowerment, the, the, the truth, the, the help that we need to do the other two. And while the book of Acts is about all three of these, how important, the one thing I want you to see this morning from the opening lines, is the Holy Spirit is foundational. Because I don't think there's much hope through the ways of man and the instructions of man for the other two to happen. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. Ben shared with me a book this week and uh, thank you for doing that. And I already had this quote before the book, but I'm sure you'll hear some other James Montgomery voices. Uh, he wrote a, a great volume on the book of Acts. But I love this. He said, humanly speaking, it had. No, he's talking about the, the, the start of the church, first Christianity church, the beginning of what we call Christianity. Humanly speaking, it had nothing going for it. It had no money, no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel, and it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It taught truths that were incredible to the ungenerate world. It was the subject to the most intense hatreds and persecutions. Would you agree with his summary? And yet here we are 2,000 years later, guys, and we call ourselves a church, and we go out in missions, and we have this hope to tell the world about a Christ that loves them. I think it worked out. Not perfectly, because it involved us. <laughs> but I don't think it, I don't think we would be sitting here. You, you answer this question yourself. I don't think that we would be sitting here this morning had the Holy Spirit of God not being called to fill our hearts and our lives. That the church and missions, important part of the book of Acts, would never have happened 2,000 years later if the Holy Spirit was not ever present in the lives of believers, was not correcting me, showing me truth, empowering me to do things that were outside of my own comfort level. Would you agree, Christian? Would you agree? Folks, this is our hope to live out the Christian life. I I make mention of this often, husbands. For you to love your wives as Christ loved the church, even with the Holy Spirit, is that challenging at times? Can you imagine doing it without the truth, the help, the comfort, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God himself in your life? At that point, I'm just left on to my own selfishness. Well, she said this this morning. It hurt my feelings, so. And all I'm left with is my baseness. All I'm left with is what small amount of goodness I might have through common grace that God has extended to me. Are you blown away that Creator God, the same one that took dust and blew life into it, the same God that says put a planet there and put a galaxy there and put a universe there, the same God that did all these things now dwells within you if you have placed your life in Jesus Christ and your trust in him. If you're a Christian this morning, that God dwells 
within you. And it wasn't plan two. It was plan A. God didn't say, hey, give you your best shot now. Everybody in, huddle around, break, go tell the world. I'm not trying to be silly, guys. I'm just going, did, did we have a little huddle? And, and then Jesus kind of sends us out. And he says, man, some of you are going to be a little bit more successful than others because some of you are a little bit more learned, skilled, this, that, and whatever. He never told us, go give it your best shot. What he's told us is, I will dwell within you and I will empower you to do what we'll find later on in Acts, that the disciples, this was the accusation. They didn't say this about themselves. Somebody's coming against them and they said, you know, basically, Bobby's paraphrase, what are we to listen to these disciples? These same guys that have turned the world upside down? Wouldn't you love that to be said about you at your workplace, at your school, in your family, in your marriage? That the very Spirit of God so resided in you that it turned you upside down and turned your selfishness into a loving care, turned your judgmentalism into grace and mercy because you received, because you understand that you're the recipient of that. He didn't say, give it your best shot. He said, I have come to dwell within you and to live within you forever and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. This is our hope, church. This is our only hope. Is what God has done through Christ and now he has established that in the lives of Christians in our hearts and he dwells with us. Let me close by this. What odds would you have put on the disciples, especially in those last uh, months there before Christ goes to the cross? Now, again, I'm not trying to, for us to do Vegas odds here, okay? But, I mean, I mean, what were the odds that they're going to be successful? What are the odds that they're going to turn the world upside down? I think most people have said the odds of that, Bobby, were low, if not zero. They can't even put really good theology in order. They're fighting who's going to be sitting beside Jesus one day. They can't even get it right amongst them, much less a world that would hate them and persecute them, as Jesus told them would happen in John 15. So what hopes do we have? Yeah, but pastor, you gotta, you gotta tell me, you know, you gotta admit, this Peter guy, he seemed to be pretty steady. You know, he would be bold. He'd fight for you. And yet, right before his death, Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. These others, Peter points to the others and he said, maybe they will, but I'm not. Then he denies Christ three times, last time to a, a little girl. As we will see in a couple of weeks, he will preach 
what I would say, human-wise, excluding Christ and the teachings and the sermons of Christ, the most powerful sermon ever preached on earth by a human. How do you go from a denier to this proclaimer of such truth? Did he go to seminary for about three years and we just didn't read about that? Did he go off and just have some quiet time? No. The very Spirit of God came and filled him and he goes from this bubbling fool, guys, to this guy who speaks such truth and that it penetrates hearts that the Bible says, and about 5,000 were at it that day. Because all of a sudden, Peter was just this masterful preacher. No, because the Spirit of God and God's grace came and filled us and empowered us to the job that he's called us to. This is our only hope. This is our only hope. For me to love my wife as Christ loved church. For you to love others more than yourself. For you to have the mind of Christ. This is the foundation of Acts. We, we, we miss this. We miss the whole, the, the whole book. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And, and Father, this morning, I, I pray that we would grasp this. I, Father, I pray that I would grasp this. Father, one of my greatest sins is self-reliance. Trusting on my own abilities, my own wits, my own whatever to navigate this world. When you have sent a helper, one who tells truth, one that can empower. So Father, I I ask for forgiveness this morning. For moments of pride and self-reliance. Father, this morning, will, will you teach us? Will you help us to grasp that you dwell with us if we're believers. That our only hope for holy living, to live out this call, to be a church, your people, your bride, to go and tell the world this good news of the gospel. Our only hope, Father, is this one that you sent, Father, that you yourself came and dwelt within us. Father, in the weeks to come as we go through the history, as we go through the formation of the church, Paul's missionary journeys, Father, help us never to forget this first lesson. That, Father, you have sent your spirit to dwell within us. And so, Father, we go out this morning and and we want to make much of Christ. So, Father, will you show us as we close this morning in song, Father, his worth that all these things that are yet to come, that he is worthy. We love you. We thank you, Father. And we ask all this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.